Hello, and welcome to the first Techish podcast. My name is David Hamilton. Thanks for finding your way here. This will be one of many Techish podcasts where I seek out new ideas and discuss the technologies and the issues they pose in society. I hope you enjoy it. First off, I should explain why this podcast exists and why am I doing it? Well, I've been a technology journalist for several years now. In this time, I've mostly been writing about new developments and the technologies that drive the internet and that really change contemporary life. One of the things I've learned is that the internet isn't just about connected software and devices. The story of the internet is just as much about the people it connects. Growing up in a small Canadian town, I thought the internet was great, and even from a young age, I was really optimistic about its possibilities. Imagine being able to connect with people from across the world and share ideas, experiences, and culture. Of course, I do remember the internet being slow, dull, and only a shadow of what it is today, and what it will be tomorrow. But I can't stress enough that the internet has also really been the dominant technology during my teenage years, then throughout university, and into the workplace. I'm what some people would call a digital native, as opposed to those who had to switch from things like vinyl records, typewriters, and film photography over to digital. The way I work and play, communicate, and argue are all influenced by the internet. From my perspective, the internet and its technologies are merely a fact. But this isn't to say that this is a wholly good force, or that we're heading somewhere desirable. Technology has the potential to give voice and strength not only to the disempowered, but also to the powerful. It's used by crusaders for freedom and justice, but also used by tyrants to identify and punish dissidents, by bullies to torment teenagers, and to otherwise oppose our human rights and needs. As an audio podcast, Techish will attempt to take a nuanced look at the technologies that are shaping our present and future. To do this, I'll seek out experts for their thoughts on these issues. Above all, Techish is an attempt to understand our relationships with technologies, and where technology is a solution, and where it creates problems. In following this mandate of sorts, in this episode, I'll be talking about YouTube and chatting with someone who has been involved in expanding what we think of when we think about YouTube videos, while at the same time being clearly influenced by YouTube culture. First, though, I'd like to talk for a little bit about YouTube. Started in February 2005 and now owned by Google, YouTube has become the mainstream venue for sharing videos, many of which are of cats. And I just want to hug all of them, but I can't, because that's crazy. I can't hug every cat. <laughs> but there really has been a creative boom caused by YouTube, cat videos included. Some of the interesting things to come out of YouTube are real-time on-the-ground video reports from the locations of breaking news, like the revolutions in the Arab world. People have created entire fictional web series, like Dr. Horrible's sing-along blog. I also need to be a little bit more careful about what I say on this blog. Apparently, the LAPD and Captain Hammer are among our viewers. 
people have been able to log their personal lives in video blogs, also known as vlogs. Hey, Conan O'Brien here. This is my video blog. This is my room. This is my room. YouTube has also been a major outlet for internet memes, which can be thought of as imitations of an original with slight variations that give it a new meaning. For instance, memes such as the Harlem Shake take basic elements, a lone person dancing, then when the bass drops, everyone erupts in frantic and absurd movement. Variations on the original have included this performed underwater or featuring office workers trying to get on board with the trend. There are also heavy Hollywood influences. In his book, Convergence Culture, media theorist Henry Jenkins has a great example of how some Star Wars fans would rather recreate Star Wars scenes with obsessive attention to detail using advanced cameras and effects rather than come up with an original science fiction series. So here we have the compulsion to bring into the world something new, meeting the desire to recreate what we already love. As in any medium, rarely do we see things created entirely out of thin air. A great deal of what is created in YouTube and elsewhere is highly influenced by others. A great deal of what is created in YouTube and elsewhere is highly influenced by others, whether it's a current mem or Hollywood movie staple. So YouTube can't just be thought of simply as a technology for presentation. There are different outside influences and customs that we attribute to YouTube. But YouTube presents a new opportunity of presenting, and its limits have not entirely been drawn yet. This is why it's very exciting to see people use YouTube in new and innovative ways. Verax was one of these YouTube videos that, when it appeared in the summer of 2013, really made me think about the possibilities of this technology. Verax is a short film that captures an intense few days in the life of Edward Snowden during a tense time in Hong Kong when he was disclosing some of the shocking extent of the NSA's surveillance and the general lack of privacy online. What's also extraordinary is that the film was shot and edited over five days and premiered on YouTube after about a week and a half of production. Soon after its release, it had been seen more than 260,000 times and garnered the attention of CNN, The Guardian, and Al Jazeera. What I also find so interesting about Verax is that it's an artistic expression about the events surrounding Edward Snowden at a time when our public perception of these events, thoughts and feelings, are still being formed. Verax seems to me like a window into what we, as the news-watching public, pictured when news first broke about Snowden's whistleblowing on the NSA. Furthermore, it really speaks to fundamental changes in production and distribution in a digital age. I spoke with Sean C., who is one of the creators of the film, to get a sense of what opportunities and challenges YouTube poses for filmmakers. We just got a hit from the airport that an NSA contractor just landed in from Hawaii. What was your impetus for telling Eric Snowden's story at that particular time? Well, I guess the news was just all over, and it was really, uh, it's quite overwhelming to, to see how the media reacted once uh, Edward started leaked the video. So uh, it, it was kind of, um, in one part, we were all 
like the group of us that decided to do it, we were all uh, shocked that he had landed in Hong Kong. And then basically two days after that he had leaked the video, uh, we were just kind of like, why don't we just make something off of this? And uh, one person, one person in particular, Edwin Lee, he's he's the one that kind of started the entire idea. Uh, but he, I, I think his his mm, personal goal was more that he was really interested in the story and uh, interested in, in a way, contributing to to you know, you know Hong Kong's view of this. Uh, whereas the other filmmakers like myself, uh, I'm just more into the actual filmmaking process. So um, usually, whenever Edwin does something, I I just go along and do it because I love working with him. So uh, I think it was kind of just like headed by a person that really was interested with the story, and then everybody else kind of just fell fall through. As far as like kind of like a political or commercial type of angle like that was never ever one of our our objectives so so it was sort of more of an interest in exploring that story and almost riffing off uh, the uh, the news that was just sort of coming out you know hour by hour day by day yeah like we we thought that it would be really really cool to get something out that was so relevant for the time you know that was uh, that was definitely one of the draws for why we did this uh, it's something that um, is spontaneous and exciting and definitely something new for us because uh, you know we never usually worked in that kind of format where we're getting all this kind of uh, different types of facts and myths about a certain or like a particular topic which is basically kind of a narrative that we don't need to necessarily you know make up too much and then and then uh, work with that and try to work in a story that obviously we didn't make up as well but it, it was a really interesting process rather than you know doing something right from scratch which is what we usually do terms of sort of humanizing the daily news events, I'm wondering whether you see sort of a parallel between this and maybe, you know, the way made-for-TV movies work. I think made-for-TV movies are generally trying to be as uh, biographical as possible, so they try to stick to somewhat of a based-on-a-true-story or, like, really try to you know, stick to the real script, but ours is completely, like, the story that we did was completely made up from all angles. Uh, just, it was something that we thought would happen. I mean, there, there are different, there, there are some interesting and kind of fun uh, small things in there that would definitely be True, for example, in one of the scenes you see Edward Snowden and he, he uh, uses the the pillow, the couch pillows, to like block the the front entrance doorway, and that's actually something that he did because he was afraid that people would be listening into his room, or um, you know, afraid that there would be like a wire like underneath the door. Like this is those tiny things we actually like took from from interviews and stuff like that. But uh, as far as like the actual uh, the bigger picture of like you know 
using the, the Hong Kong police and and the mainland China's involvement and the, the you know the reporters and all that stuff. All those things are are just completely fictitious and just something that we we kind of made up. Like uh, I feel like the reason why TV movies are you know can stick to the actual events more is because it's usually a a few at least a, a year before you know or after the event so that they can gather the information make sure that they're not uh, you know you know basically making up a story too much because obviously the viewers would uh, scrutinize it for you know making anything up whereas you know we're under a different type of uh, scope I guess definitely after doing this it's it's been I mean there's the one part where we we feel that we work well together doing projects very quickly and like it, it's always been kind of like the style that we've had like the a very guerrilla filmmaking style so everything's kind of just like shoot and go you know foot on the pedal like just go and do it and you know take as few cuts as possible and just just work with it so I guess that part of our film um, you know, it worked to our advantage because, like, obviously we had a really big deadline. But uh, knowing that something like this, uh, you know, has some sort of impact, uh, we're definitely interested in doing some more things in, mm -hmm. you know, in, in this kind of similar style where we can, where we can kind of stick to an amazing story and, uh, you know, release something that would be close to the timeline of you know, when the actual news came out. So um, it, I think that it's a, it's a worthwhile and kind of like a new dialogue that, that has definitely a lot of potential, right? Are, are you scouring the news for, uh, for potential stories? Yeah, I, after, after uh, Virix got really big, um, I mean, there, there's a lot of, there are a lot of people on, our, you know, the YouTube, our friends, Everybody's asking us, "Oh, are you going to do a sequel? Are you going to do, you know, what's your next movie?" And uh, it it was a little unfortunate because everybody had to go on summer holiday. Mm. So I mean, I went on a six week uh, tour like across the world, and and uh, Edwin also went uh, all over Europe. So so we couldn't work together. But now that we're all back together, we're you know we we do we really do want to. I mean, we we naturally would be doing projects again, but we're yeah, we're looking at uh, you know interesting stories, but um, it's just too bad that we weren't together because I think we would have already had something. With the YouTube tube form, there is this. There's sort of always this pressure to uh, to create more and more, right? Definitely, uh, it, it's kind of like uh, there's a lot of this banter that goes on on YouTube as far as those comments go so uh, I, I think we're all really grounded you know we have to be practical this is something that's not our place to decide the public needs to decide whether these programs and policies are right or wrong and I'm willing to go on with the record to defend the authenticity In terms of YouTube of you know a lot of the stuff that gets a lot of views is 
you know, it isn't always uh, this this thing that you you sit down and you sort of uh, take it in, and it has a lot of nuance and uh, that sort of thing. And it was very interesting to me to see the, your 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 film got so much uh, uh, attention, given that you know there are a bunch of like cat videos and you know people <laughs> falling off things, right? You know, like the tr the traditional sort of YouTube uh, fair. I, I found that it was kind of interesting that. Uh, that it, it almost uh, proves that people do have um, this ability to uh, to sit down and take something in. Oh, that's a yeah, that's an interesting point. Um, I, I think one of the main things that we knew from the get-go was was the duration of of time. I, I think that if this was a most of the short films that I do see that go to film festivals or or even get millions of views on YouTube, they seem they tend to be ones that are 15 minutes, like 15, 10 to 15 minutes, like more of a like a longer film. But I, for us, like it was all we knew that we wanted to make it around five, and I think that I think that's like a kind of like a maximum type of time for a YouTube type of video. Uh, usually people, like you said, like usually, you know, are going on cat videos or, you know, they're just, you know, they're going on, you know, for like, it's a lot of like passive, passive type of viewing, I feel. And uh, and even when we go on the, the Google, uh, I, I like to look at the statistics and stuff, mm -hmm. the the general the general time of our video is around three minutes. So there's two minutes, uh, there's two minutes where people aren't even watching it. So I'm wondering where that two minutes goes. Uh, it, it's probably it might be the credits because the credits themselves are, uh, you know, uh, an amazing like minute and a half. So like, <laughs> like it's like thirty percent of the movie. Mm -hmm. um, it, it, it's interesting because the Google was the place for it to kind of spread, you know, get attention. But I think that what really started the the spike in views was was the press, and through that, um, you know, getting streamed on other people's sites, that I think spiked up our views. So it's a little different than, I guess, what uh, most of the the YouTube videos. Um, how they get views? Yeah, it's. I mean, it was never about anything commercial either. We're no, we don't have any pressure as far as, you know, nobody's throwing money at us, or you know, we're not, you know, we're not under some sort of contract to say like, hey, you, you gotta, you gotta get this film out, or else you're gonna lose views, or you're gonna lose anything. You know, like there's not, there's nothing to lose. Mm -hmm. So, in, in you know, you know, from my standpoint, we're in the best situation uh, that you know, from start to, you know, end result. Like, we never started thinking, hey, you know, I'm trying to make money off this YouTube video. I mean, we, we paid for for that production ourselves. So, you know, we were willing to kind of, you know, obviously, you know, out of our own pockets pay for the film and not rely on somebody or rely on, you know, somebody else's money in order to make it. So uh, that's... I think that's you know the, there's no there's no other better uh, kind of reward you know and the the response that we got was was awesome. This is the truth. 
this is what's happening, you should decide whether we need to be doing this. There's a link to Sean C's videos on techish.ca. Please subscribe to his channel to keep up with his work. If you enjoyed listening to this podcast, please subscribe on iTunes and check back on techish.ca for new episodes. You can contact me by visiting techish.ca or tweeting me at David Rodit. Until next time, keep thinking about technology. Don't let technology think for you.